Tiny almost always believes stories. Everything wants to make sense of the world or to drift from it, to love in it as far as someone knew. Since Tiny was little, people have asked who she wants to be when she grows up, but Tiny is already. She is here and ready now. Tiny knows there will be other adventures and times to rest. The order matters. Listening is crucial. If you hear someone else's story, you have one solution set. If you also have their body and their exact problem in time, their solution set might be yours too. It could help you. It might not. When Tiny listens, she is in her head, but also the others, which is hard, so not something many other people actually do. It's an advanced practice. When she's sitting in a room with another, Tiny imagines a third chair sitting empty. Who might come and sit? Who is missing? The word for lap connects to curve, echo, and sinew, which is how muscles connect to bone, how we bind, held, hold. Stories are arcs, but they are also waves, firecrackers, flowers, and rings. Sometimes they are black holes. The ancient Greeks believe a person sees because beams of light shoot out their eyes. Tiny agrees that the eye is an optic, but it's also a receptor. Both ways of seeing make sense, but the stories they can tell are different. The Greeks can only ever be the protagonist or the audience, but Tiny can be everyone at once. She is hero, enemy, and peanut gallery. This is a strength, and also it is exhausting. In her everyday life, Tiny meets lots of people who do things she would like to do. Julie spray paints beach scenes and tigers on the sides of cars, then disappears for the winter. Theo visits laundromats to collect detergent bottles, and then he dresses like a robot made out of detergent bottles. He visits the summer carnival to pose with people. It is the most lucrative job Theo has ever had. Tiny's friend Emily catches babies in the hospital. She talks about her job like part of it is baseball, part of it is swimming, part of it's wonder. Tiny's other friend Nora lies inside a cello case during performances. Eventually, people started paying Nora to put them inside the cello cases too. Tiny's friend Curtis fell in love with men and became a priest. Tiny is here to know them. To know them is to see them and to let them change. It is exhausting and also it is overwhelming. This is why Tiny sits on the roof so much and why she walks in the mornings. Like this, Tiny keeps herself in her body. She breathes. She protects herself from whiplash. What does everyone do before they fall asleep? Tiny flosses. She takes Hawthorne under her tongue. She claws at her hair. When she was little, Tiny sucked her thumb. She gnawed a little dent in it. Welcome to Sema, a podcast currently exploring loss, grief, and healing. Mairead Case joins me in this episode where we discuss relationality in life and after death, embodiment, and writing about suicide. We also talk quite a bit about her book, Tiny, a contemporary poetic retelling of Sophocles' Antigone, set in the mossy greens and foggy grays of the Pacific Northwest, out now from Featherproof Books. I read Tiny at the beginning of this year, and it continues to help me move through an impasse in my own writing. Its tenderness has shown me the many different ways that pain can be both felt and written about, and talking with Maraid was a deepening of this. 
I can feel my approach changing even over the course of our conversation. In the editing process, I was surprised by how much the threat of suicide, how to grieve it and write about it came forward. These are questions I've been considering and writing into deeply over the past several years, and it's my feeling that both Maraid and I have more to explore and discuss about this. I hope to continue our conversation in a future episode. Maraid Case writes and teaches in Denver. She holds an MFA from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and a PhD from the University of Denver and has been a legal observer with the NLG for over a decade. You can find a link to Tiny and other texts we mention in the notes. Please email sema.readingseries at gmail.com to request an episode transcript or to join the email list. As always, please take care when choosing to engage with any media, including this podcast. My name is C.L. Young. Thank you so much for being here. My mom... um is a pathologist and she so she was like saw a lot of um the human body in like a very clinical way and would like um in an appropriate way but you know we would like visit her at work and we would see different tissues and we would like hear about different ways that a body can be and change and i appreciate that she was always just like really practical and open about it um and by that same token when i was in gosh, the end of middle school, she um, started working in a pediatric hospice. And so then we saw kind of like a different kind of death. And I remember she took me to a funeral once and she was like, I really want you to have the first like dead body that you see be someone that you didn't know, um, which is like such an intense mom thing to say. But, um, but I remember just like really feeling like it was an important moment. And um I think also she knew the kind of kid I was like that wouldn't work so well with every kid, but for me, it really did. Um, And then also like she had an older brother who died before I was born. And so there was always this really kind of mysterious thing around him. And I think definitely to a degree, I wanted to write this book where someone loses her brother just because that's like a story that I've always wanted to know more about. And I know that I won't ever, and that's okay. I respect that. But I feel haunted by it in a way that makes it my story too, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But then like once I became an adult, like I have, I have lost friends to suicide and I, as a legal observer, I've seen a lot of violence in the streets that I don't think I knew was really going to affect me as much as it did until I started having a hard time sleeping, you know, like three or four years later. And I was like, Oh, maybe that is like, coming through in this way so I think like all of that was less mysterious it was just kind of hard but it was definitely another kind of haunting if that makes sense um but it was bigger than just me and my mom once I got to be older so both of those spaces went into the book (laughs) totally god that's so interesting so my mom's brother died in exactly the way that Tiny's brother dies in the book um and 
I have that impulse too in a lot of ways like that sort of and Aaron Rose and I talked about that a little too like when there's this absence of or there's this like sort of lore in your family or like loss that wasn't yours directly or mystery that it's such a at least for me the impulse to write about it is so huge and I yeah the second book I ever kind of tried to write was fiction but it was very much like my attempt to be in my mother's relationship with her brother yeah and it's hard right because it's like I I know that it's not like if my mom doesn't want to or can't tell me like I really respect that like especially at this point in my life but it also is this thing that I walk with because I know how important he was and still is you know the experience for you of writing into that and how fiction functions for you your writing is so not easily categorized but I wonder how like in thinking into that space of the loss of a brother how that I don't know, genre or story kind of function for you? Because of course, like I'm reading that book and I'm like, it feels so real to me. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, your ability as a writer. And that's not really a question, but if there's anything (laughs) there that you want to respond to. Yeah, I mean, I think like part of it is for sure, like a lot of it, a lot of the stuff that Tiny experiences in her body is how my body works. And so that, um, that part is like from me for sure. But I also, it also felt really important to stretch it a little bit. Cause like, she's kind of terrible sometimes. (laughs) Like she's like a real pain in the ass. And so I feel like it was interesting to write a character that like, I maybe would have like argued with if I was like her sister or her friend or her teacher in high school, you know? Um, But I think, so this book was my dissertation and like, I've always, as an like a academic which is like a weird space in and of itself in a lot of ways I've always been a fiction writer and those are like the cohorts that I was admitted to and um like the the work that I that I did so like this came out of DU as like a fiction thing but I also have taught poetry way more and worked in poetry way more and like because this book works on the sentence level in such an intense Mm -hmm. way too like I feel like it's not wrong to think about it as like a more poetic thing. Um, so yeah, like, totally. So I feel that like at this point, it's almost like um, I'm okay with other people calling it what it what it is for them, you know. Um, but like the the main thing I think is that, and I know you know this too. Like for grief, for trauma, for loss, it's like it's not linear, and so you don't always remember it all. Um, in the way that other people do or in the order that it happened um, or there's like a cathexis kind of a situation. And so I think, I think it's really hard to write something that doesn't have a little bit of like what could be considered fiction. If you're really writing about like loss from your gut, you know, like I, I don't hear voices in a way that I need to be medicated for, but I definitely have minutes where I'm like, Oh, like, did I hear that? Or like, did I remember that? And you kind of shimmer. And sometimes that can be lovely. And sometimes it can be um, an anxious thing. But um, I wanted to write a book that held that too, if that makes sense. With the friends you've lost, or the those in your life who are no longer 
physically embodied do you feel like you have like what is your relationship with those people at this point well the, the, and if that's too private that's totally... no it is I mean like because you brought up the the death scene like the the most intense and direct answer to that question is that that is how a friend of mine died when I was in college um and I like I, I he I, I'm not a doctor in that way, but like he was exhibiting some schizophrenic um, tendencies before he died. And like, um, I was also in like a really intense Catholic community and I wasn't sure where he was at with his sexuality. And so I don't, I don't know what was intentional and what wasn't. Um, but I do know that, uh, he like, he had this one really intense moment before he went away when we never saw him again. And he like showed up on my dorm door and was like, I want to read some of what you write. And I was like, okay. He's like, show me something you're proud of. And I showed him some music reviews that I've written. And he gave me such shit about it. Cause he was like, this isn't like you. He's like, this shows you listening. And he's like, these albums sound cool, but he's like, you're not a musician. And he like, basically dared me to write something that scared me that I would care about um which you know so like in a lot of ways like I think I started writing this book then and I I did end up putting his name in the back but I wasn't even sure if that was right because it also like you know it feels scary to actually like put ink to paper in a certain way um because I'm aware that I don't control anyone's story, but I, if he gets to exist outside of that moment when I met him, which I hope he does, like, I don't know that he would want that to tether him to anything, (laughs) you know? Um, But so like, so he's in there and then there's like stuff like some of the different colors that are in there or the different ways that people move around are like ways that I have experienced. Like they're, they're Easter eggs, but not in a way where I was like worried about forgetting them if I didn't write down the right kind of plaid, just like <laughs> you belong in here too, you know? And there's this thing in a, I was thinking about this cause I just saw this movie um, Limbo and it happened in it too. And it happens in a couple other movies where like a character will die and then they'll just like show up. Like they're like not the main character. And so the person who died will show up like as themselves and they'll just have a regular conversation with the person that's still living. And it's not like, um, a, you know, the ghost of Jacob Marley or somebody coming in. It's just like, oh no, hi, like you're walking in my door. And because it's a movie, like it's not, it just seems normal. <laughs> and so I, I don't, you know, that's one of the things that you can't really do with like ink on paper, but I, there's this scene towards the end where like tiny thinks that she sees her brother's hand and like in that minute, like it is his hand and that's okay. And so I, I thought a lot about how a book could work in that way, but again, not because I'm worried about missing them or I feel like I have to like put their names down so they don't go away. Like I know that that's not my control. Um, but I know that they're part of the story more and more. Like there is a sort of ongoing conversation with a lot of those people for me anyway. And that the farther I get into that awareness, the less I feel a need to write about them, which is odd too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. I wonder, I don't know. That's one of the things about fiction too, that I do think is so lovely and helpful because you can get to, 
those stories or those people in a way that is, I don't know, sort of perpendicular or something that isn't, uh, doesn't feel like it's taking something or trying maybe as you're saying to put something ink to paper in a way that is sort of enduring anyway I feel like that's something I'm kind of battling with lately just in trying to figure out different writing projects and where they should go and live and whether they should live you know um but yeah uh that makes total sense and it's also like where your central part is you know like when my when the fr- like the friend that I'm thinking about died, like I didn't know how to compute it outside of like me not being the central one. And like, what if I had done a better job of like picking up my phone when he was calling from the pay phones or like, what if I had like told someone or what if more people knew about suicide? You know, it's like, you feel like you want to do something so that you can fix it. So it doesn't happen again. And like, I think there are certainly moments like in my activism spaces where like that is really accurate and you do have to reach out and keep that energy up but like you know I can't I can't bring him back and I was you know I I, it's not it's like different than like letting it go but it's maybe like letting the urgency of it go or the responsibility of it go which is like another kind of a grief you know but like if I didn't if I didn't like write that scene down on paper like it still would have happened and I would still remember it um I think part of that too was like how Catholic I was when I grew up and it's like you're really taught that you have to like say all the prayers every day and remember all the things every day and it's been surprising in a good way to me to know that like you can let your memories change too and that doesn't mean that you fucked anything up you know yeah maybe one of the impulses of writing for me is that desire to like remember everything or to write it down or it didn't happen or something Mm -hmm. and I think anyway that permission is so beautiful well it's also you know it's like you and I love our friends so much and part of it's like no y'all should have met this guy like he was brilliant (laughs) like totally you know it's like I miss him yeah you brought up growing up Catholic I how has that like is that a space of loss for you? Like moving away from that? If, if you have, I don't know what your sort of spiritual life is, but how, I guess, what, how is your spiritual life? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's also like such an intense moment for it, you know, like, I think um, if I could have, it's, it's weird to like be thinking about a book that I wrote about that I wrote several years ago that is about death in a pandemic when like death isn't fictional (laughs) you know so it's like and I think my spiritual life comes into that because I don't like I've always I've always believed that there's something else and I I'm grateful that I've had so many opportunities to like think that through already like you know like I'm I'm 37 and I have gone to a lot of Catholic schools and grew up like in a family where we went to mass every week um and then I work at Naropa and so I have um been introduced to a whole bunch of different other kinds of like spiritual spaces um and also just like figuring out stuff on my own from like when I sleep or when I look at a body of water like really abstract things like that you know but like my mom is really catholic and I I love her a lot and so for me 
Catholicism like fits in with family in a way that means that I know that I'll never be too far from it. Um, Cause I know, I know there'll be a period of my life when I'm here and my mom won't be. And I know that if I miss her, like she's been very clear that like the way for me to find her or hear her in like a lot of ways is, to, is like through the Catholic church, which um, I respect. Um, mm. But I've also, I, I lived in Indiana for a while and I um, had a really hard time with the way that um, the Catholic church, like treats gay people <laughs> and yeah. treats women. And like in my life right now, I can't reconcile that in a way that means that I would go to church every week but like I love a lot of people that do and it has been a space of growth you know to like force something to not be black and white especially when that world really makes you want to be black and white pretty hard Mm -hmm. um so I think I'm okay with not knowing but you know like I think about like Fanny Howe like I I love the way that she writes so much and like and that like the way that she talks about mystery and mysticism. And I know that that is like really deeply Catholic too, in a lot of ways. And so I, I care a lot about that. Um, But I don't, I don't always know about how the guilt and the shame parts work, you know? Right. (laughs) Cause that feels like not something to carry with you for your whole life. Where's your spiritual life at right now? Oh my God. Well, I mean, (laughs) I was really lucky, in my opinion, to grow up in a situation where nothing was really forced on me. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad grew up Catholic and was very much not Catholic by the time I encountered him. Anyway, and my mom was kind of, she grew up Episcopalian and I don't know, very much by the time I came around was like into transcendental meditation and yoga and you know she was kind of occupying that space so I actually just I chose to go to church as a child and chose to get baptized Episcopalian which is sort of hilarious and that's awesome (laughs) yeah and then kind of left the left that when I was in my early teens because it wasn't working for me and then studied philosophy in college and very much was not not in believing in anything at that point and then I think really like people dying a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> really changed that for me and I think that um losing people I don't know if it was that I I couldn't handle or I can't handle the idea of them just disappearing and that has really changed I think how I feel about whatever it is like the existence of you know some other world outside of this one or the existence of or sort of uh, endurance of a soul or something Um, I think poetry weirdly is like was the conduit for me toward like a deeper sense of spirituality though that word is sort of whatever Um, Mm -hmm. and I think Yeah, I mean, I really feel, especially after my friend died a couple of years ago, or now four years ago, which is sort of wild, in Fort Collins, like when they died, I think I just really 
needed to like be in contact with them or something and so I really feel or felt not so much now actually but in the sort of year couple years out right after they died I felt very in some kind of communication with them which sounds weird but I really felt that and I think um and part of that and maybe you've had this experience too but part of that I think had to do with the fact that when they did die or like when they did take their life they had been sort of so far away from me for so long like they had so clearly been leaving the world for a couple years so when they did die I felt like this return of them to me in this like really beautiful way like the person I knew before they sort of started to leave the world kind of came back for me and maybe that's what that was like I just got to have that person back or something or those memories instead of like stuffing them away like I felt like I had to do when we couldn't really have a relationship living you know yeah um So anyway, so I feel like I just am in this place of feeling pretty, or I have have been feeling pretty connected to a lot. And so, yeah, it's definitely something I'm really deeply thinking about in a way that I totally didn't anticipate. (laughs) Yeah, that makes so much sense. Like, I think, like, you and I are both such, like, relational people, and I think that I hadn't really, like definitely not until the last year, like really processed, like how much of this is relational and like how much of like death is relational and like, like the ability to be able to say goodbye on your own terms, which I don't necessarily mean in a suicide way, but just like all the goodbyes that we have to say so many times. And I think that like, you know, like you're talking about four years and like, this book is something that I've been writing since like probably 2014 in a lot of ways. Um, Like my friend died a lot earlier, but like really actually sat down and was like, here's this thing, let's do it. And like, you know, you and I both had so many times in our life when like a goodbye has happened that we haven't really been able to like, we've had to process it after, you know, or like we haven't been able to make all the choices about it. And like, and I, and I think that's like how life is. Like, I'm not saying that anybody owes me a pony. Um, but I think I also like hadn't considered the fact that like you can say goodbye to a thing and like, it's, it's okay. And like the grace in that, which always feels like such a Catholic word when I say it, like is good. And it doesn't mean that you have to do penance for it for forever. And it also doesn't mean that you'll be sad about it forever, right. you know? Um, which is like honestly a very new concept for me. Me too. <laughs> I have been feeling that too recently. Like I'm not sad anymore. And I don't really like it's not like I'm not sad ever. Like certainly I'm sad sometimes and I'm I'm not making myself not be sad either, which I think people do. Um, right. But I just don't feel that in the same way anymore. And it's kind of scary sometimes, but I'd love to hear you talk more about that. Yeah, I mean, it's all the stuff you're saying. It's, like, the thing that made me think about it is when you talk about, like, your friend, how they kind of drifted away. And, like, then how, like, you do still have a relationship with that person. And I would never, like, I think we get to have multiple selves. You know, like, I've heard people say, like, oh, well, like, they weren't themselves around me. But, like, you know, 
I have friends that do too much heroin. Like they're still themselves when they're doing heroin, you know? And like, I don't want them to do that because it, it takes them away from like the planet that we're on. But like, I, you know, you don't harm reduction and like relations are the thing in that space, you know? Um, and so I think about like, if we get to connect with someone after they've died in some way, like that feels relational too. And that feels like an important way to understand time, which feels really concrete to me. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I don't feel like I'm that much of like a magical thinker about it at all. Like, uh, I definitely needed to start back in therapy during the pandemic. And one of the things that my therapist always says when we start sessions is like, um, kind of checking in, like physically, emotionally and spiritually. And in the beginning, I was not into it because I was like, I don't I don't know spiritually, like, what does that mean? You know, and then like, and I never wanted to be like this alone in an apartment in my life. And I don't ever want to do that ever again. But like, I do think that there was a sense where it's like, I don't think that I was entirely alone. And like, I don't think that like, the ghosts of my friends necessarily visited me or maybe they did like maybe that's just like not even how that is processed once you get to a certain point but like it's it's weird to realize that like different kinds of goodbyes can happen or you can carry something forward with someone um and i think i just didn't have enough of like a brain that was developed in the right way to understand that in my 20s which is fine it's cool <laughs> it's like, yeah. fun changing you know like i don't because it's not the same as dancing with somebody and it's not the same as growing old with someone, but like, you know, um, we also don't always grow old with all of our friends. And sometimes that's because they die and sometimes it's because they change and like, that has to be okay. I'm, I guess I'm glad that I get to grow older and think about this stuff more. <laughs> totally. Well, or not needing to like escape about it as much, you know, like I think I've had, I've had like addiction and like a lot of different kinds of families that I'm in. And like, I, I feel lucky that I can be in spaces where certain things are and not like get obliterated by them. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I know that it's always something to be like aware of too, you know, um, like it can be, you know, just like thinking about being sad or like missing people and like, am I going to go get drunk? Like sometimes I do, but then I don't always. And like knowing that I don't always like isn't a choice that everyone is able to make. And like, sure. you know, it feels, it feels really like radical and a uh, weird and cool that I can like sit with my grief a little bit better than I used to be able to. I think what I think about too, like in a space of mourning is like when that can flip into anger because um, that is not an emotion that I have always felt comfortable with. And I, I know that it's like one of the stages of grief. And so it has always, to me, like I've always overthought it as like a weird kind of doubling down on grief, right? Like, because then if you go through the anger moment, then the thing on the other side of that is like acceptance of what happened. Um, which feels like then you have to move on, which has paralyzed me in parts of my adult life probably more than it needed to yeah <laughs> um I think maybe I always feel like David Wonorowitz like fits in conversations like this in certain ways like I always think of like how like Wonorowitz like I think he's the first 
like, you know, I don't, I didn't know him and I think that it would be wrong to teach him in the way that I would teach other writers at Naropa where you would think about like mindfulness, <laughs> but like he was certainly in his body and I, I like, he has like a, so much, so many moments in this writing where like he or like a version of himself is like on a roof or like buried in the desert and like looking up at the sky or just like looking really intensely at like a lens and like I think I've learned a lot from how like he can be still when he obviously really wasn't in a lot of ways like I think if I ever actually like knew him in the flesh I would know it was wrong to call him <laughs> like a still calm person but he can be that way in his writing and he has that like one image about like rage being a blood-filled egg which like is really intense, right? Because if you throw that egg, it's going to smash and it's going to stain and like whose blood is it? And it's going to be loud, but it's also like really weirdly beautiful. Like if the sun's coming through it and like, you can kind of like see the different color, you know, like it's, it feels like an image that can contain so much. And so I think that when I'm thinking about like grief and mourning and like how we move through it or with it, like I always come back to him in ways that keep on surprising me because I always get so sad when I first enter into it and then there's always something else like the house is on fire but maybe you didn't need to be in it anyway maybe it wasn't your home connecting from that too like Edie Fake's work fits into that in a certain way where there's there are characters that are allowed to change like Gaylord Phoenix could be about joy or it could be about mourning and like the creatures in it just change shape and perspective and like language and that's part of the story and when that happens so much it becomes something that's not scary yeah. and so I think I've learned a lot from those books too and both of those really affected tiny in strong ways I think yeah oh I love that about change I feel like I'm changing so fast all the time it's right exhausting <laughs> it is exhausting I'm like wait I thought I just kind of figured out that happened and now this new thing is happening like when do I get to like I don't know take stock <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so, it's, it's such a weird thing to try to figure out like what's my story what's not what needs to be there what doesn't what time and place that needs to come from and sort of like what version of me does it need to come from and I think yeah it's like what it what is what what of it is just like I need to say this happened and what of it is really necessary it's so hard <laughs> yeah it is and it's like and I think about like I think that's like why I write so many letters to my friends because like that's a version of it or like why I write in a journal and like that's different than like writing for public but like you know like a, a concrete example of it is like I I wrote a lot about Mia Zapata like two years ago and like it was really important to do because of being from Seattle and because like her music and her death have like really affected me as a person but like she's someone whose story is like hers and her bands and like you know I, I like walk with her but I know that like it's not mine to tell and so part of it too is like well then you told it anyway so how does that work you know and I don't I don't necessarily know like the right the best way to like 
talk about it or think about it, but I do know that in the times in my life where I've like just thought about, should I say this or not? Um, I just haven't written anything and that doesn't feel like the right answer. And I definitely think there are ways to write about someone's story that perpetuates harm in a way that you should never do, but it's complicated for sure. Totally. Well, and I feel like like the other, the book of poems that I've been working on since sort of grad school ended has a lot to do with having friends who've died by suicide and having been suicidal. And like, that becomes a big question too. To what extent is that perpetuating harm and to what extent is it like something I need to write and something someone else might need to read and to what extent is it not you know yeah and like what is radioactive like what can you know like not like I don't think that we can protect anyone in our writing but like what what keeps the story moving in like a way that like offers hope and health or reality in a way that like keeps the community going yeah and that answer isn't always the same for everyone, so it can get hard, but, you know, like, it's scary just to say suicide. <laughs> yeah. How, Tiny is such a gentle book to me, and and it's also so, but it's not, not gentle in a way that is, like, it's not doing <laughs> the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder how, how... I don't know if that way of writing the way that that book is written is just the way that it feels natural to you to write. And that's just sort of how it happened. Or if that was a choice, like, I think when I think about writing about some of this loss or grief, or at least maybe this was the early, earlier version of me, like there's part of me that wants to make it sort of like bloody and in your face and like hard to look at. And and I don't know that that's the the right thing to do. And I think that's part of the reason I love that book so much is because it doesn't do that really, but it do- also isn't like concealing. And I wonder if that's conscious, like if that was a conscious choice to you or how how you think about the quality of that. That's a good question. I think, I think it goes back to like legal observer stuff, like... Mm-hmm the first time that you've had a trauma, the, the, like the first time that you tell the story is like a really powerful first time, you know? And like, if it's, if it's really intense, like the person that you're telling it to should be someone that like you love and trust and loves and trusts you, or like is a professional who can help whatever next steps need to happen, happen. And I, I think that when I was first a writer, I was just like so fully overwhelmed by the world and didn't actually believe that the things were happening to me happened to me. And so I just was like wanting people to see me, you know, kind of being like, this happened, like this sex is weird or like this president did this thing or like more people should talk about act up, you know, or like whatever it was. And like, then like getting older and realizing that like every time you say more people should talk about this thing maybe means you should do a little bit more work first you know sometimes not but like generally there's already someone on that path and then also that like I don't I don't need that validation in the same way anymore like I I've moved through it and like now it's the time after that and so I don't feel like I have to retell that story in the same way you know like um, Malachi was the person that I was involved with, um, 
caretaking after his death um, when he killed himself to protest the Iraq war. And like, there was a version of this book that was just like, you have to know what he did. He set himself on fire by the side of the freeway. And he was also in the music world and like, he should still be alive. But like, that is not, that story is just kind of like, look at me, look at this. And like, it's not fully my story to tell. And so ultimately I think that just kind of perpetuates the violence that I was already feeling about it. Mm -hmm. um, so it helps to get, to be a better listener to write this book first, if that makes sense. Healing is such a complicated idea and I think kind of loaded for a lot of people, but how, I mean, I guess two parts, like how do you feel, where are you in your healing process and or like what has helped that the most? I think. And like, that's such a weird question too. Cause like, what is your healing process? Like healing from one thing, healing from no, it's life. Good, right? It's, it's <laughs> like, it's like all like the rings all together. I think, I think like being able to tell the difference between safety and comfort um, because they can, they can feel feeling unsafe or feeling uncomfortable can feel the same in my body. Mm -hmm. And it's been really helpful to like, ask myself that question. Um, especially because like, in the last 10 years, like, like a lot of us and like, you know, I know that I have a lot of privilege here too, but I have definitely thought that I was going to like die at certain points for reasons outside of my control, which is such an intense, intense thing to say, but it's also true. And like that feeling, um, can be like a version of one that comes up when I'm like going on a date with someone new or like when I'm about to like read in front of a group of people and like, obviously I'm not about to die in either of those situations, you know? And so being able to say like, are you unsafe or are you uncomfortable? Um, and being able to actually like answer that for real. And then like knowing, even though I have been lucky enough not to have to leave once I've been able to ask myself that question, but knowing that I could and I would, I think has been really helpful. Um, which is maybe too intensive a way to answer that question, but like, it's really good to know the difference. And I don't always think that I did. And um, so that feels good. And also just like being more patient with myself and like knowing that like, if things keep on changing, that that can sometimes like be the thing that you need and like saying what you want and trusting that like you will learn more about that and that then it will happen, which isn't magical thinking. It's just like, figuring out your boundaries and who you want to be in the world and like trusting that um is cool <laughs> i noticed you say something a while ago about talking about this book a lot and being alone and having you know reading from this book and i wonder how it's felt to have that book in the world like to have i don't know how you're feeling about that like if it does feel healing in a way or like if it feels difficult I mean it's probably all of those things to have that and to be interacting with it and with people with it so much you you I don't know especially as it gets farther away from the point of writing it too yeah totally I mean there's like the 
the immediate things where it's like, I, I wish that I could have like been in physical proximity with people when I was like launching it. Like it's, it's very weird to read about death in your apartment and then just like turn off the computer and be in your apartment, you know? Um, and I think, but that is just like a thing that I feel that that probably wasn't the healthiest choice for me. Like, however I did it and I'm still doing it. And like, that's okay. You know, and it's not the final point of the book. Um, and like, it's, it's intense to be a person in a relationship in the world who like talks about sad things and like wrote a book about suicide. And I think that that has been troubling for some people that like don't know me so much as a writer, you know, but I, but I know that I didn't write it cause I need care. I, I wrote it cause I think that for me, the more I look at something, um, to a certain degree, like the more I understand it and that's good, you know, um, that's also part of why I want to write a romance next, <laughs> just cause it's like, maybe I don't always need to like, think about like that sort of like finite ending so much. Um, like it could be a romance with anything, but like, um, that felt really real. But like, I always think it's like a relief to, like, I'm lucky that I've been able to publish things that have been bound and gone out into the world, but I've also worked really hard to do it. And I, love that it doesn't belong to me anymore you know like I think about that scene in like Young Frankenstein where they're doing like the putting on the Ritz and like it doesn't quite look the way that like they intended it or maybe it doesn't land with the audience in the same way but it doesn't belong to them anymore so it is like a really cool thing to be like here like you know go off on your own and and like see what happens and one really beautiful thing, thing that's happened is people have made their own versions of it and sent them back to me what yeah like in a way that I has like happened enough times that is like it's a thing and like I don't know <laughs> like, Wait, like they've written their own versions like one example is like um someone did like an asemic version of it and so like wrote um different designs and like stamps in the margins on every page and sometimes mm -hmm. over the words and then someone else like made a soft version of it, um, like a soft sculpture, um, which is like really not the kind of thing that I would have, like, it's so lovely. It's almost a little embarrassing, you know, but like, I, I love the fact that like this book is like multiplying itself in the world in different physical ways. And that means it belongs to the community in that way too, you know, which is like, I think the best thing for a book to do. Thank you for listening to SEMA. Initiated in 2018 as a reading and workshop series in Boise, Idaho, SEMA aspires to nurture deep attention and connection as means for change. To join the mailing list or share your insights, please email sema.readingseries at gmail.com. The song in the background is by Teal Gardner. You can find a link to more of her music in the notes.